Church. We're so glad you joined us this weekend. Can you keep that applause going as we welcome our South Shore campus and our Plant City campus and everyone watching online? We're so glad you joined us this weekend at the Crossing Church. And we're so glad you're all here, like live and in person. That's awesome. Yeah, come on, somebody. That's great. Amen. We want to give you a quick update on Pastor Greg. He is recovering well. He has a follow-up appointment next weekend, but we believe that he's going to be coming back very soon. And we just want to show our appreciation to you, Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara. Can you give them a round of applause? We love you guys. We are praying for you. We can't wait to see you again. And if you would, let's all together, all of our campuses online, let's join in prayer. Let's pray for him and his family and for this service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come together and worship you and in person and around the world, wherever we're watching. God, we pray over Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara, and the whole family. We pray that they feel your presence in their home, that you continue to bring a swift healing, dear God, that you renew strength. And then when he comes back, it's just a fiery word from you, dear God. We're believing that. And God, we pray that you bless these services across all our campuses and everyone at home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I have the privilege of launching a new series today called Don't Go Alone. Don't Go Alone. And we're going to be talking about life groups and the importance of being in godly community all month long, all during the month of September. And so if you're not in a life group, we believe that it is the place where you can find close friendships and godly community, place where you can trust people and they can trust you. And so if you're not part of a life group, we're going to be talking about it all week, but you can sign up for a life group even this weekend. If you're at one of our campuses here in Tampa, South Shore, or Plant City, you can sign up in the lobby or you can text or go to the website to sign up for a life group. And we'll talk more about that later, but we encourage everyone to do that here at The Crossing. But when it comes to group activities, is it okay if I'm a little transparent with you guys today? I'm a little vulnerable. I'm a little bit of an introvert. And so when it comes to group activities, sometimes I do the ninja roll out the side. You know what I'm saying? I disappear in a puff of smoke. But maybe, maybe it was because group projects in school were a traumatizing event. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When that teacher said, we're going to do a group project, and you just feel that twist in your stomach like, oh, another group project. This is how I felt during group projects in school. I was this guy who does 99% of the work. You know what I'm saying? And then you got this guy. He has no idea what's going on the whole time. This guy says he's going to help, but you know he's not. This guy disappears at the beginning and doesn't show up till the end and takes the credit. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe this pie chart is, is how you felt. You know, what you're supposed to learn in group projects, communication, responsibility, collaboration, teamwork. What you really learn is trust no one. Trust no one in group projects. And maybe this third one, this, this I really felt this one. When I die, I want the people I did group projects with to lower me into the grave so they can let me down one last time. <laughs> I mean, you might feel like that too. Pastor Fiona, I might need some freedom from group projects. I'm going to go to freedom. We're going to talk about it. But, you know, for all that I felt maybe about those group projects in school, even from the high school age on, I knew the importance and felt the importance of being in godly community. I grew up in church. In my high school years, the times that I had in a small group, we called them cell groups back then, it was so important to the formation of my spiritual walk and to my character. I actually found pictures of my high school life group, if you believe it or not. This was us. We met in the basement of a friend's house. We were eating popcorn, playing ping pong. Uh, I was taking the pictures. That's why you don't see me here. But go to the next picture. There's a Bible, just so everyone sees we actually studied the Bible. Amen. And uh, you go to the last picture, and it's just, it was an awesome time. These are the guys in my life group. That's me in the tan suit. Come on, somebody. But, um, 
But, you know, those were such formative years, such formative times, and having just a group of friends that around me that we studied the Word together and we would pray together is so important. And even now in your adult life, if you have a workplace where you might not have a lot of Christians around in your workplace or none, or maybe those people around you close by, they're not that godly community you need, that's why it's important to find a life group. And to find a life group here at the Crossing Church, you can find godly community in all of those groups. So what does community in today's culture look like? You know, our, our world today and culture, it wants you to think that you can find community on a five-inch screen. They want you to believe that you can just be online and follow and have people follow you and that somehow you get community from it. You know, it's interesting, those pictures of my life group when I was in high school, we didn't have any smartphones because it didn't exist, not because we didn't just have them, they just didn't exist. I'm dating myself a little bit there. But, you know, it's so interesting the effect that devices have on our ability to relate with other people in person. I want to read this quote from a study. This is Dr. Emma Sapala. She's a science director at Stanford. And listen to what it, what it says when there's devices even present when you're trying to communicate with other people. One study showed that the mere presence of a cell phone when two people are talking interferes with feelings of closeness, connection, and communication. We are profoundly social creatures wired to connect with others. We are exquisitely fine-tuned to understand people by internalizing the minutest change in their body language and faces. We automatically mirror and mimic these movements, creating a sense of understanding towards the feelings of others. This is why you cringe when you see someone fall on the street or why you feel sad when you see someone's eyes filling with tears. If devices constantly interfere with your conversations, you undermine your ability to connect with others. You miss the flicker of emotion in your child's eye, the look of exasperation in your partner, or the attempt of a friend to share something meaningful with you. In theory, social media is meant to connect us, but in reality, it acts as a barrier. That's Dr. Emerson Powell. I thought that was so interesting. Even the presence of a cell phone affects that. And this last piece of information, this was a national study done among young adults. It says, compared to those who use zero to two social media platforms, participants who use seven to 11 social media platforms had substantially higher odds of having increased levels of both depression and anxiety symptoms. And you know, it's interesting, we're in this time now with COVID and some of us staying at home and working that we're lacking that community, just that natural interaction we had with people. And so we're kind of naturally going towards these devices and social networks. And I want to say, while it feels like, you know, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do or it feels at least temporarily good, I want to encourage you, you need to find godly community with real people that you really interact with on a regular basis so they can speak into your life and speak life into you. Amen. And I'll give one more plug. You know, we have lots of in-person groups, but we actually launched e-groups, groups that meet on Zoom and online. And so you can learn more about that, too, at the end of the service. It's a great way to connect even now. And so today we're going to talk about the difference between godly community and ungodly community. How do we distinguish when the people around us are godly community and want the best for us and speak life into us? And who are the people that may not want the best for us and maybe not helping our character or life? And here's the disclaimer. When we talk about ungodly community, this is not to say that we shouldn't interact with people who are struggling in their character or whatever else. We're called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? And in order to spread the gospel, you have to tell people who don't know the gospel, right? 
And so when we talk about ungodly community, it is not to say we don't interact with people at all that might, you know, be ungodly or whatever, but that the people that speak into our life, our close circle of friends that we hear advice from and that speak into us, those need to be godly and God-fearing people. Amen? And as we talk about the things that distinguish godly and ungodly community, don't just think about the friends that maybe you had in the past that wronged you and all that. Think about how you can be a better friend to others how you then can be godly community to people who need it. So we're going to turn to the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, we're going to stay in 2 Samuel. It's a book in the Old Testament, kind of towards the beginning. It's before Psalms. 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. And we're picking up right here towards the end of the life, the end of the story of King David. If you don't know, this is the same David who slayed Goliath with a slingshot. This is the David who played the harp in the fields and was under Saul. And now David has been king for a long time now. This is where we are in the story. And David, he's done some amazing things for Israel. The country is prospering. He's been a good king. And he's had some major failures. Bathsheba, you know what I'm saying? So he's done great things. He's done some bad things. But now later in life, he has a son. And his son's name is Absalom. And he didn't do well by Absalom. And in return, now Absalom has become an evil son. And Absalom wants to revolt against his own father, King David. He is now trying to take over Jerusalem and the country of Israel. A coup d'etat, if you want to talk about something fancy. And so Absalom is trying to take over, turn over his father's kingdom. And so as we read through some of these verses, you're going to see a cast of characters. And I want you to get a heads up now so you can see it. We have awesome sign language interpreters and Spanish interpreters. Would you give them a hand? Because they're here at the Tampa campus every week and they kill it. And so I don't know what they're going to do with these names, amen. But So we got godly community. These are the people that surrounded David throughout the story. We got Ittai the Gittite. How's she doing that? All right, all right. You got Hushai the Archite. You got Ziba the Servant. You got Abishai, and you have Joab. These are the people that made up the godly community around David. And then we're also going to look at the ungodly community, his evil son, Absalom, and this guy, Ahithophel. She got that one too. Amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. So we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. And the first distinction we see between ungodly community and godly community is selfish versus selfless. Ungodly community is full of selfishness, where godly community is full of selflessness. So here we go, starting with verse 11. It says this, 200 men from Jerusalem went with Absalom, the evil son, and they had been invited and were going innocently, for they knew nothing about the whole matter. Now stop right there. I think that's so interesting. 200 men didn't take the time to figure out what was going on, and so they follow the evil son innocently. Before you get involved with something your friends are doing, find out what's going on. Especially young people, find out what's going on before you go with them on that trip. Find out what's going on. They didn't know about the whole matter. <clears throat> then while he was offering sacrifices, Absalom sent for David's advisor, Ahithophel the Gilanite, from his city of Gilo. So what's, what's Absalom doing? Absalom is taking his father's own advisor, making him a traitor, and bringing him to his side, Absalom. 
Then an informer came to David and reported, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all the servants with him in Jerusalem, Get up, we have to flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly, or he will soon overtake us, heap disaster on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So Absalom is betraying his own father with his father's advisor, Ahithophel. And I find something interesting here too. A word of warning. If you are placing your trust in someone who is betraying someone else, you might find they're not as faithful as you think. They might not be as faithful to you as you think they will be. Don't put your trust in someone who just betrayed someone else. Both Absalom and David's advisor, a traitor, Ahithophel, are operating in selfishness. All Absalom wants is more power. All Ahithophel wants is to be with the guy that has the power. This ungodly community is selfish. It is experiencing selfishness. Now, I think this quote is helpful. You know, I was trying to think, why would Absalom, who is doing evil, trust this traitor, Ahithophel? And so I was reading Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life. Jordan Peterson, he's a brilliant guy, sociologist, and he's not a Christian yet, but I think he's getting there. He talks a lot about the Bible. Uh, but he's a brilliant man. And so in his book, where he talks about how to choose friends, in his book, 12 Rules for Life, he says this. Sometimes when people have a low opinion of their own worth, or perhaps when they refuse responsibility for their lives, they choose a new acquaintance of precisely the type who proved troublesome in the past. Such people don't believe that they deserve any better, so they don't go looking for it. Be thinking of Absalom as I read this. Freud called this a repetition compulsion. He thought of it as an unconscious drive to repeat the horrors of the past, sometimes perhaps to formulate those horrors more precisely, sometimes to attempt more active mastery, and sometimes because no alternatives beckon. Why do people choose these other people that are bad for them? And that last part got me, because no alternatives beckon. How many people are out there choosing poor friends, choosing friends that have a bad influence on them, because no better alternative beckons. That is why we as the church, we as a godly community, needs to be the ones that beckon to those who need community, who need people to speak into their lives. Let us be the godly community that beckons to them. So that is the selfishness of the ungodly community. So what about the godly community that are with David? We pick it up in verse 19 of that same chapter, and now we see David's life group here. It says, the king David said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you going with us? Go back and stay with the new king since you're both a foreigner and an exile from your homeland. Besides, you only arrived yesterday. Should I make you wander around with us today while I go wherever I can? Go back and take your brothers with you. May the Lord show you kindness. What's going on here? Ittai the Gittite is a foreigner. He was new to Jerusalem. And so David's saying, save yourself. Absalom doesn't know who you are yet. He's probably going to be king. He's taken over. Just go with him. If you come with me, you're just going to be on the run. But watch what Ittai the Gittite says, the godly community around David. He says, in response, Ittai vowed to the king, as the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king is, whether it means life or death, your servant will be there. We all need some Ittais in our life that will go with us no matter what. It's interesting that David was trying to be selfless, telling Ittai, go save yourself. But that selflessness begets more selflessness. And Ittai said, no, I'm going to go with you. 
Let's look at another character in David's community. Verse 31 of that same chapter. It says, Then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Lord, David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. When David came to the summit where he used to worship God, Hushai the Archite was there to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go away with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and tell Absalom, I will be your servant, my king, previously I was your father's and now I'll be yours, then you can counteract Ahithophel's counsel for me. And verse 37 says, so Hushai, David's personal advisor, entered Jerusalem just as Absalom was entering the city. So what is Hushai doing for David? Hushai is David's new advisor, a trustworthy advisor, and David's asking, will you go back into the belly of the beast? Would you go back to where Absalom is taking over? And maybe God can use you to overthrow these evil plans. And Hushai goes, even as Absalom is there. We need friends like Hushai who will go even when it looks dangerous. And one more compatriot in David's community. We go to the next chapter, chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, and we go to verse 1. Enter Ziba. And it says, when David had gone a little beyond the summit, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, man, I'm giving you all kinds of names, I'm so sorry, was there to meet him. He had a pair of saddled donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And King David said to Ziba, why do you have these? And Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride. The bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat. And the wine is for those to drink who become exhausted in the desert. Ziba was the friend who would refresh David. Ziba was the one who had the gift of hospitality, who brought food and donkeys to help the king. I think of Ziba as Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings. He's got all the food. He's got first breakfast and second breakfast. He's got the pots and pans. He's good to go. We need Zebas in our life as well. And so this was David's life group. He had Ittai the Gittite, Hushai the Archite, Ziba the servant. And even during this tough time when his own son is leading a revolt in the city of Jerusalem, he had godly community around him to help him even during this time. That's why we need godly community to help us during those difficult times. So ungodly community, we see selfishness. Godly community, we see selflessness. That's number one. Number two, in godly community, we see mercy. But in ungodly community, we see malice. Mercy versus malice. Let's look at the godly community showing mercy. So now David is on the run. Absalom's back in the city. David's hiding out. He has some, his men with him. And so in 2 Samuel 16, right where we were, going to verse 5, it says this. When King David got to Barum, a man belonging to the family of the house of Saul was just coming out. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. He was yelling curses as he approached. He threw stones at David and all the royal servants, the people and the warriors on David's right and left. So this guy, Shimei, he was from King Saul's family line or from that, you know, generation. And so he's heaping curses at David and he's throwing stones at David. Do you might have some people in your life that are trying to throw stones at you. This is the guy in your comment thread that's trying to rile you up. He's the guy at your workplace that might be gossiping about you. He's the guy that might be trying to stab you in the back. This was Simai, son of Gera. And so what do we want our friends to do? We want them to be like, let's get them, right? Let's meet them outside after school. 
But that's not what godly community does. Watch this. So verse 9, it says this. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my king? Let me go over and cut his head off. Isn't that what we want our friends to do? Call somebody a dead dog. Let me get him. Cut his head off. No, we don't really do that. But that's what his friend wanted to do. But what does David say in response? What does David say? In verse 11, David says this. David said to Abishai and all his servants, look, my own son, my own flesh and blood intends to take my life. How much more now, this Benjamite, leave him alone. Let him curse me. The Lord has told him to. Perhaps the Lord will see my affliction and restore goodness to me instead of Shimei's curses today. What humility to show grace and mercy. Even when you're close friends, that you want to be right at your side to say, no, we need to show mercy and grace when people wrong us. And David realized he was far from perfect. He had failed many times before. And so who is he to seek revenge? Revenge belongs to God, not to him. So that's godly community, showing mercy and grace. But what does the ungodly community look like here? Now we go to verse 15 in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. It says, Now Absalom and all the Israelites came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was also with him. So Absalom and the traitor advisor is now going into the city. And then in verse 20, we jump down and it says this, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give me your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel replied to Absalom, Sleep with your father's concubines he left to take care of the palace. And when all Israel hears that you have become repulsive to your father, everyone with you will be encouraged. What is Ahithophel suggesting? Take revenge. Make your father look like a fool. Disgrace him in front of the entire country. That's how you can get back at him. That's the voice of ungodly community, trying to tell you to take revenge, find retribution yourself. And we have to be careful because when we surround ourselves with people that are close to us or that we trust, we'll listen to their advice. And we will do these things that are not godly. I, once again, I was thinking about teenagers and in school and in college and the influence that people can have over us. The science of adolescent influence. This is an article I found as well. It says adolescents are quite likely to emulate the behavior of popular peers. They have a strong investment in social comparison and reflected appraisal and with meeting the demands of those considered the most popular in their peer group. We have to be careful who we surround ourselves with because we will listen to them and we will start acting like them. There's that saying, I can tell you just how exactly you are like if you tell me the five people closest to you, the five people you spend the most time with, and I can tell you what you're like. That's what we're talking about here. So ungodly community seeks malice and revenge. Godly community seeks mercy and grace. And the third comparison we'll make today Godly community goes together. Ungodly community tries to go alone. Godly community goes together. Ungodly community tries to go alone. Eventually, ungodly community will leave you hanging. They'll leave you by yourself. That's why you need to find a life group who will be there for you no matter what. Let's take a look at what happened to the ungodly community. What happened in the end? We go one more chapter over to 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17, right at the beginning, it says this. Ahithophel said to Absalom, the evil advisor to the evil son, let me choose 12,000 men 
and I will set out in pursuit of David tonight. I will attack him while he is weak and weary, throw him into a panic, and all the people with him will scatter. I will strike down the only king and bring all the people back to you. And when everyone returns except the man you're seeking, all the people will be at peace. How interesting it was how many times Ahithophel said, I will. I'll do it. I don't need anybody's help. I will do it. Send me and I can do it. That's pride talking. Ahithophel tried to go alone. But because one of David's friends, Hushai, was in the midst during this conversation between Absalom and Ahithophel, he God, allowed God to use him to confuse the advice. And we see in verse 7 right here, Hushai replied to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given this time is not good. It's not so good. And then in verse 14 it says, since the Lord had decreed that Ahithophel's good advice be undermined in order to bring about Absalom's ruin, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than Ahithophel's advice. When you have godly community, God will use you to help others. Just like in this story, he's using Hushai, even in the midst of all these enemies, to help David. And then I find this last part so interesting. In verse 23, it talks about what happened to Ahithophel, the traitorous advisor. Verse 23 says, when Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown, he set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. And so he died and was buried in his father's tomb. So interesting how the traitor who wanted to go alone so badly also died alone by himself. This is why it's so important that we don't try to go alone. We need godly community around us. Amen. The ungodly community tried to go alone but what did the godly community do that was around David? We go over one more chapter to chapter 18, 2 Samuel chapter 18, starting at verse 1. David, the king, reviewed his troops and appointed commanders of hundreds and of thousands over them. He then sent out the troops, a third under Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. There's our friend Ittai again. The king said to the troops, I will also march out with you. You must not go, the people pleaded. If we have to flee, they will not pay any attention to us. Even if half of us die, they will not pay any attention because you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better if you support us from the city. How interesting is that? David and three of his close generals, he sends thousands of his army out with these generals. And David says, and I'm going to go too. Let me go with you. But what did his friends say? They said, it's too dangerous. You're too close to this. You have a target on your head. Let us fight for you. Let us fight in your place. Let us be that godly community for you. And I thought of this verse, Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Ungodly community tries to go alone but godly community goes together. I was trying to find another illustration of what it means to have strength in numbers, to have godly community and what that means. And I found it in the strangest place, meerkats. I found this video, yeah, I know, it's strange. But I'm about to show you a video and it's of these meerkats 
and they are being attacked by a venomous snake, a cobra. And this snake has enough venom in one bite to kill six men. And if it was just one meerkat, it would have been over. But I want you to see what the meerkats do as a group against this formidable enemy. Check it out. A Cape Cobra, one of the most venomous snakes in Africa. Clinky spots the threat and sounds the snake alarm. This is where teamwork comes into its own, confronting the predator to see it off. But it's a risky strategy. A single strike from this snake contains enough neurotoxic venom to kill six men. take on such a formidable adversary. But Meerkat's strength lies in their unique solidarity. Outmaneuvered, the Cobra bows its head and retreats. Come on, you know what that's talking about. Give it up. You know, if you didn't know, Satan, our enemy, is described many times as a snake. And man, when I was watching that video, I was like, that's perfect. It's perfect. Because if you are alone, if there was just one meerkat in that group, it would have been over. But when you have godly community around you, and then when you are facing the enemy, you are facing something, whether that's a financial struggle, a health struggle, depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, you need those people to come around you and say, no, you're not just against one, you're against many. We're all here. We all have your back. That's the importance of godly community. Meerkats. We've never known. So the end of the story, we know what happened to Ahithophel, and in the end, Absalom passed away as well, and David was returned as king. And it's a tough ending for David. He lost his son, but it shows us the importance of godly community. Ungodly community goes alone, but godly community goes together. As we begin to land the plane, I wanted to give you one book recommendation. Uh, my wife actually read this book, and it's an incredible resource. It's called Safe People. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. They're also the authors of the Boundaries book and many others. They're uh, Christian brilliant men. And this book is just a great resource to help you discern the people around you, discern friendships and things like that. So safe people. I encourage you to check it out. And also let me leave you with one last verse. You know, we wonder, you know, where in the Bible does it talk about getting together in groups and all this kind of stuff? A lot of places, let me tell you. But I'll give you one. In Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, it says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together. Rather, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We have so many stories of lives that have been changed by life groups here at the Crossing Church. And all month we want to share some of those stories with you so you can see the incredible change that it will bring to lives, to your life as you find community, people that you can trust and to find people that trust you. And so this next story is from David and Sarah Malone. And we just want you to hear a little bit from them right here at the Crossing Church. Here it is. We talked about it before, and she's like, I'm not ready. I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't think we'll be good at it. You know, whatever excuse you mm-hmm. can think of. But I've been praying for over a year to be involved into a life group. And even though I, I don't know if you were scared, but I was scared. I was like, we're not ready. You know, we're not as knowledgeable. It has been amazing. I think the realization kind of dawned on me early last year. Um, all of a sudden I could sense that I'm trying to do this on my own, right? And even though I was spending time with the Lord in the Bible um, and and growing in my faith in Him, I also knew I needed uh, others in my life. Sarah and I actually started going to re-engage together, and this group was actually born out of all of us that went through a closed group at re-engage together as well. Because I remember praying and thinking, all right, God, I can hear you telling me distinctly, like you need others in your life, but yet I'm showing up to church and I don't know a person. So it's like, all right, you got to make this happen. I went from not knowing anybody to boom, 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 all these great deep relationships. And uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing um, for us in our lives to know all these people and to, for the first time ever, to have a church truly feel like home. I think it's almost vital if you're trying to do your walk with with Christ and you need like-minded people with you, we can be there to help support you. We can be there to just be with you through everything you go through. It's what God designed us to be, is to be together and to experience everything together and learn from each other. And just, I think it's important. It's going to feel uncomfortable at first. You know, you're going to make yourself vulnerable to people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also going to lead to probably more fulfillment and more joy in your life than you've ever had before. Right? Just yeah. just having these relationships with these people that do truly care about you, that challenge you in your walk with Christ. And uh, you feel loved. It's, yeah. it's great. You feel loved and accepted. Yeah. You feel loved and accepted. Amen. So we encourage everyone who comes to the Crossing Church to be a part of a life group. And there's lots of ways to do it. If you're at one of our campuses today... Here at Tampa, at South Shore and Plant City, we have group link going on right outside the doors. And you can sign up for a life group there. You can talk to someone, they'll help you. And if you're at home, don't forget we do the e-groups. We can do them digitally, Zoom, all those kinds of things. And so you can text JOIN to that number, or you can go to the website, wearecrossing.com groups. We encourage everyone to be in a life group here at the Crossing Church. 
I actually started a Zoom group. Uh, my wife and I, we do a little Zoom group now every week, and it's been great. It's an awesome time where we get to know other people and have that community. And so now I just want to do two brief calls to prayer. You know, when we talk about community, sometimes it's a pain point. Sometimes you might just feel like you're alone right now. And so I'd like to pray over those. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you're at any of our campuses or watching online at home, and you say, you know what, I do feel alone. I need some people around me to encourage me, to help me, to speak life into me. Would you lift your hands just so I could pray over you here at Tampa Campus, South Shore, Plant City, everywhere? Hands all over, hands all over. Heavenly Father, we pray for all the hands that are up. We pray for everyone that is seeking community, someone that just needs a friend, someone that needs a mentor, someone who needs someone that can disciple them on their walk with Jesus Christ. We pray that they find that person, they find that group here at the Crossing Church so they can begin to walk with them and do life with them and have that godly community we all need. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And we never want a service to go by without telling you about the amazing person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God made flesh 2,000 years ago, and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. And it's offered to everyone who would accept it. Everyone can accept that forgiveness and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is when you give your life to Christ, you immediately are ushered into the biggest community there is, the body of Christ. And you're one of the many millions, billions of Christians around the world. And so we're going to say a quick prayer, and it's just a prayer of submission, saying, I want to give my life to Christ. And so if you would one more time, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Everyone's going to repeat it together so no one feels alone. And there's nothing special about the prayer. It's the posture of your heart. Everyone together say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. Teach me to follow you for the rest of my life. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, at all of our campuses, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if that was you, if you're saying, today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, I want to serve him, we want you to lift your hand on three so we can pray with you, we can celebrate. We're not going to make you do anything funny. We're not going to make you recite Leviticus up here at the front. We just want to see you so we can pray and connect with you. If that was you, every head bowed, every eye closed, at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. Hands all over. Amen. Keep your hands. Yes, amen. Keep your hands up just for a moment, just for a moment. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All right, let's just celebrate all together. Come on, somebody. So many hands went up. Let's praise God. That's so awesome. We believe at all of our campuses and online, so many come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, listen, if you're at home or if you're watching online and you want to give your life to Christ, you just did it. But we want to connect with you too. There's a number on the screen, and you can text the word Jesus to that number, and someone from the Crossing Church will connect with you so we can help you on your next steps. Now, if you would hear the Tampa campus stand with us, we're almost done. We're almost closing, but we're going to sing a brief chorus. And again, if that was you, if you lifted your hand for salvation, fill out that card. If you didn't get a card, you can go to the people in the red shirts, and they'll get you one. We want to connect with you. We're going to sing a brief chorus, and then Pastor Wade is going to come out to close. We're so glad you were here this weekend.